How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah. Well, there are moments in our lives that we will remember for all of time. And for this generation, if I asked you where you were when the two planes crashed into the World Trade Center, I'm sure that everyone in this room, everyone on the podcast could tell me in vivid detail exactly where they were, what they were doing. It sticks in our memory because of the horrific tragedy that occurred that day. And a sleeper cell is a group of spies or terrorist agents that remain inactive within a target population until they're ordered to act. And since 9-11, we've become more aware of these sleeper cells that terrorists have set up all around the world. And these sleeper cells are just waiting to be activated and cause more damage, more fear, more terror wherever they are in the world. 9-11 was absolutely devastating. Devastating. Thousands of people lost their lives. It was so tragic and horrific that the United States, some of its allies, began a campaign that is still ongoing today called the War on Terror, fighting back against the terrorists. But as tragic and devastating as 9-11 was, there's something that has even greater horror and further damaging consequences than that day will ever have. It's a far bigger war, a far more important war than even this war on terror. And it's a war that's been raging for years and years now, but the tragedy is that most people don't even realize that they're smack dab in the middle of this war. They're smack dab in the middle of the biggest fight they will ever fight. See, we're not battling against people. You and I are fighting for people. Amen? The enemy we're fighting is elusive and slippery. We're fighting against things that we cannot see with our physical eyes. We're fighting against demons and darkness. We're battling against spiritual forces of wickedness in supernatural realms. This war is for the hearts and minds of people, you and me, our neighbors, the people that we see every day. And it's the most important fight of our lives. Because, listen to me, all of eternity is at stake. Your children's eternity is at stake. Your friend's eternity is at stake. Your parents' eternity is at stake. Your co-workers' eternity is at stake. Your neighbor's eternity is at stake. Your eternity is at stake. But here's the good news. You're on the winning side. Like Blake said. And you have weapons to defeat this enemy that you can't see with your physical eyes. See, you and I are the church of Jesus Christ. And you and I have been called out to attack the enemy. Hello? We've not been called to defend some island or fortress somewhere and sit around playing with flannel graphs, singing kumbaya and holding hands until Jesus returns. That's not what we're called to do. Yet so much of the church is doing just that. And I love flannel graphs when I was five. <laughs> See, the church of Jesus Christ is not some weak cat that has to just sit there and take the abuse of our enemy. You and I, the church of Jesus Christ, are not called to a defensive position. I want to get this through our heads. We've been called to step forward together, and in stepping forward, we attack the darkness. Yes? 
You see, we need to flip this whole concept on its head. We need to go 180 degrees. We need to turn this whole thing around. The church is the sleeper cell. The church has been sleeping, and Jesus is now saying, wake up, O sleeper. Isaiah 52 says this, wake up. Wake up, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your beautiful clothes. Another translation says, your glorious clothes, O city of Jerusalem. For unclean and godless people will enter your gates no longer. Rise from the dust, O Jerusalem, O church. Sit in a place of honor. Remove the chains of slavery, hello, from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Saying to his church, to you and me, wake up. You are being activated. It's time to get in the battle. Wake up and clothe yourself with strength. This is the real war on terror, my friends. This is the real battle against the darkness, and you and I are being called up for active duty. Remember Peter? Jesus told Peter, oh, good old Peter. He said in Matthew 16, 18, on you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church, my ecclesia, the called out ones, and the very doorway of hell will not be able to stand up against the unstoppable force of the church of Jesus Christ. That word prevail means to overpower, to get the upper hand. The gates of hell, the doorway of darkness, I'm here to tell you today, has zero chance against the overwhelming, undeniable, everlasting, unrelenting, powerful name of Jesus. Make no mistake, church. Make no mistake. We are called out to attack, to advance, to take ground against the enemy of this world. And to illustrate this today, I've brought along National Geographic. If you want to roll that video. This is a rattlesnake versus a roadrunner. I hate snakes. Now, what you have to realize is this roadrunner can run 33 kilometers an hour. So it could just run away from the snake. But it doesn't run away. Check it out. Come on, Roadrunner. Come on. Got him. Bam! Get it. Bam! Come on. That's what we should be doing to Satan. That's the Roadrunner is like the church. And we know who the snake is. Jesus said that we'll crush his head. That's nasty, but you get the picture. We're not called to run and hide. We're called to attack the darkness, to take ground for his kingdom. You and I were made to attack. Let's pray before we get any further. Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you that you're here right now where two or more are gathered. You are here. God, now remove all the distractions and all the noise. The darkness has no place here, only the name of Jesus. God, would you work in our hearts today? 
would you wreck us today? We want to be different people than the people that stepped into this building. We want to step out of this building with greater vigor, with a mentality to attack, to take ground for your kingdom, not for our name's sake, but for the greatest name ever in the history of, the, of all time, the name of Jesus, at which name every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. We thank you, God, that you have already won the victory, that all we need to do is fight in the victory that you already have for us. We don't fight for victory. We fight from your victory. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So when this uh, sleeper cell idea was birthed, this Old Testament story immediately came to my mind. And if you know me, you, you know I love the Old Testament stories. It's such a great story. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel 13 and 14. So let me give you a a snapshot of where we're at. The cycle of judges had ended. Remember the the judges cycle where the Israelites would sin against God. He'd give them over to their enemies, the Philistines or whoever. And then they'd repent. They'd come back to God. He'd give them a judge to deliver them. And then the whole cycle would repeat again. So that cycle has ended. doesn't mean the Israelites were always obedient now. But they had demanded from God, demanded a king. And God, he said, it's not the best thing for you, but they said, we want to be like everyone else around us, so he gave them a king, King Saul. And God had appointed King Saul as the king of Israel, and he'd been a king for about one year when this story takes place. Now, Saul had about 2,000 fighting men at a town named Gilgal. Jonathan, Saul's son, the prince, had command of 1,000 men, and his crew, Jonathan's crew, decided to attack an outpost of the Philistines, okay, their arch enemy. Well, this didn't go over too well with the Philistines, if you can imagine. They had been used to abusing the Israelites, treating them like their doormat, lording over them for years. For, off, for years, off and odd, they'd been slaves of the Philistines. So the Philistines were very ticked off that Jonathan and his men had attacked one of their outposts. And in 1 Samuel 13, verse 5, we read this. The Philistines then assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of soldiers. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets and among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. So Jonathan and his little band makes the Philistines so angry that they assemble all of their forces to attack Israel. Now you have to understand the terrain that they're fighting in. Here's a picture of the Michmash area, okay? A lot of rocks, a lot of hill country some serious cliffs. So when the Israelites see all these 3,000 chariots, these 6,000 charioteers, and an army so numerous that it looked like the sand on the seashore, they run for the hills, literally. They're hiding in caves, in thickets, wherever they can among the rocks. They're hiding anywhere and everywhere. Now here's something else you have to understand, verse 19 of chapter 13. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. 
because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So you can see why they ran for the hills. 2,400 men of the 3,000 they had run for the hills. They're hiding in caves, leaving Israel with an army of 600 terrified men against an innumerable army. Oh, and they don't have any weapons. Saul and Jonathan are the only people in Israel with an actual sword or spear. The rest of these 600 men have, like, hoes and rakes and rocks and axes and whatever they can grab to fight with. This is literally a group of barbarians, God's chosen people, the barbarians. Have you ever felt like in your life, like all the weapons of darkness have formed against you? And all the armies of hell are coming against you, and all that you have in your hand is a garden rake. Have you ever been there? I've been there. So Saul and Jonathan and the remaining 600 men, they make camp at Gibeah. And here's a, here's a picture to represent the terrain. So they're on the left-hand side there. You can see the big uh, uh, valley in between. And then the uh, Philistines are at Michmash on the right-hand side of the screen to give you a visual. And here's where the story gets really interesting. Israel and its weaponless, tiny army is camped on the one side. The Philistines are camped with their massive army on the other side. And one day, chapter 14, verse 1, one day Jonathan, the prince, the son of Saul, says to his young armor bearer, he says, come, let us go to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. So Jonathan has this great idea. Hey, armor bearer buddy that doesn't have a sword, why don't you come with me to the enemy's camp on the other side of these cliffs? Great idea. Verse 5, and you can see some pictures here that Holly will put up on, of some of the cliffs. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross the, to the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Boaz, the other called Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other stood towards the south towards Geba. And then Jonathan says something that's absolutely unbelievable. He says to his armor bearer, come, let's go up to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. This guy, Jonathan, has some crazy Old Testament, Old Covenant faith. Forget 600 men against innumerable odds. Now it's two against a gazillion. And he's crazy enough to believe that God is with him. Is there anybody in this place today that is crazy enough to believe that God is with us here today? Anybody? Excellent. 
See, whether it's just you and your wife and you're facing off against all of hell, whether it's you weaponless against what seems like all the forces of darkness, are we crazy enough to believe that God is with us? Can we actually put steps to that faith? Can we actually walk away from the camp of safety towards the enemy camp, no matter what everyone around us is thinking? Are we crazy enough to believe that God is with us? Oh, God, if we actually just believed that. If we actually just believed that. If we said, God, we're just a small church from Peoria, Illinois, saying perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. We might just be crazy enough to believe that God's with us. We might just be reckless enough to climb those cliffs and engage with the enemy. Hello? Am I preaching? So Jonathan proposes this crazy plan to his armor bearer, and this is the response he gets from the weaponless young boy. His armor bearer says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I absolutely love this. Now, here's the question for us today. Is this what we are saying back to Jesus? Can we say, here I am, God. I don't have a weapon. I just have a rock in my hands, Jesus, but I'm going to follow you into battle. Jesus, do all that you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. What if, what if, what if we actually made that our prayer for 2018? What if we prayed, Jesus, do all that you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. See, we don't have time to worry about weapons. We're just following Jesus up the cliff, one step at a time into battle to engage the enemy. Verse 8, Jonathan says, come on then. Let's cross over towards them and see what they, let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come up to you, then we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be the sign the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outposts. And the Philistines, knowing all these 2,400 men and hidden in caves and rocks everywhere around, they thought the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor-bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up, using his hands and feet with his armor-bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. And it says in another translation, bashed their heads with rocks because he didn't have a weapon. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in the area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. See, it might look, look in your life that the enemy has the upper hand. You may be weaponless, you may be staring up at that massive cliff, but here's the thing. You were designed to attack the enemy. You were designed to step after Jesus and break down the gates of hell. And listen to me, church, if God is for you, hello, 
If God is for you, then who can be against you? I heard that somewhere once. So Saul and his 598 men now back at his campsite are all huddled in fear. And all of a sudden they hear this battle going on. And they come out of their tents and they look towards the Philistine camp over the the cliffs there and they see this massive army being scattered in a hundred different directions. The Philistines are killing each other in total confusion. And the Israelites look and realize that Jonathan and his armor bearer are gone. They do the math. They put it together so they run towards the fight and they join the battle. And by then, the rest of the 2,400 men that had hidden in the hillside, they also hear the battle. They come out from hiding from their rocks and caves. They hear the fighting and they come running. The barbarians have joined the battle. See, God's causing panic in the enemy's camp. They cannot stand against Jesus. See, while the rest of the church is sleeping, God is awakening the sleeper cell. And we might be few, but it doesn't matter. We will start the battle, and then God will raise up the rest of his church to help finish it. And I'm here to put the spirit of legalism and religion, the spirit of pride and idolatry and division on notice in this city. You've had long enough. Now we're taking background in the name of Jesus. You know how to take background from the enemy? One step at a time, one battle at a time, one day at a time, one person at a time. But if we're saying with our heart attitude and our hands attitude, Jesus, do all that you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. See, I'm here to tell you today the enemy is on the run. The panic has set in for the enemy in this area. It's no joke. The gates of hell are crumbling. The church is waking up. The sleeper cell has been activated. It's go time. And we've got to start stepping forward and engaging the enemy. Somebody, surely somebody has got to be crazy as Jonathan and his armor bearer. So you say, Chris, that's all well and good. We're in this battle that we can't see, and we're supposed to charge the gates of hell. But come on, what does that actually look like on a Monday morning? What does that look like? on a Wednesday afternoon? What does that look like on a Friday night? Give me something practical, not just this hoorah stuff. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Remember, our fight is not against people. Our fight is for people, for their hearts and minds. And we have the opportunity, actually, no, we have the mandate to share the love of Jesus with people. See, what Jesus did for us was a crazy act of love. What Jesus did for you and I was a reckless act of love. The Father sent his only son to die for you. I wouldn't send my son to die for you. I'm just telling you, I'm being honest. I wouldn't. Your father, your heavenly father, sent his one and his only son to die for you. And the heart of Jesus is to leave the 99 that are safe and go chase after the one with reckless abandon. He left his throne to chase you down. That's reckless. He didn't have to do it. And when you were an enemy of God, he fought for you with his blood. His love is overwhelming. His grace to you is unending. And here is what I believe with everything within me. You and I will not be effective in this battle until our hearts are absolutely wrecked 
by the love of Jesus. We won't be. And some of you, your heart is hard towards God because you're still trying to do it on your own. That's called religion. And you need to allow the wrecking ball of God's grace and his love to completely demolish every selfish, every prideful brick that you've set up in your heart. Ground zero destruction. And then you need to let Jesus build you up brick by brick by brick. See, my biggest prayer in this season is that this church, you and me, would be known as people that are completely wrecked by the love of God. Because until our hearts are wrecked with the love of God, until that happens, we won't be reckless with the love of God towards others. Does that make sense? Because until that happens, there's no way that you can say like Jonathan's armor bearer, Jesus, do all that you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. So how do we damage the darkness? How do we attack the enemy? One person at a time. What are the weapons that God has put in your hand? (laughs) See, it might just be a garden rake. But if it's a garden rake, then you fight the gates of hell with that garden rake. Let me give you some ideas of what weapons maybe in your hand and you don't even realize it. What's happening around your dining room table? What kind of conversations are happening at your kitchen table about Jesus? Who are you inviting into that table? See, that's a weapon against darkness. What's happening in your living room? Are you opening up your home to develop relationships where you can encourage people with the love of God? What's going on in your office or your cubicle at work? How are you doing your job? Are you doing it for the glory and honor of Jesus so that other people can see? How are you impacting people at work for the name of Jesus? What are you doing with your lunch hour? That can be a weapon. Whose life are you speaking into? Do you have a strategic plan to use your time wisely? Those are weapons Do you understand what I'm talking about, the weapons that might be in your hand that we just gloss over, that we don't understand, that we don't recognize every day? See, for the last two weeks on Wednesday night, there have been 20 men in my basement. Twenty men talking about tearing down idols in their lives, giving Jesus not 80%, Not 98%, not 99% of their lives, but giving Jesus everything. 20 men in a basement, that's a weapon. About a year ago, God spoke to Heather and myself and said, you need to be using every square inch of your home for me. And I'll be honest with you, we... We do a pretty good job of using our home for Jesus. I don't say that in a prideful way. We, we just do. We've had a call of God on our lives, and, and we've opened up our home to use it as a weapon against the darkness. But see, here's the thing with Jesus. He's always <laughs> going to ask for more because he's doing a work inside of us. He's building those bricks brick by brick. So we had this spare room. It was a guest room upstairs upstairs. But honestly, we only used it very rarely. 
So we decided, we said, God, we're going to give this room to you. We don't know what this looks like, but you can use it however you want. And literally a few weeks after we decided that, maybe a month or so, two families in this church, their apartment flooded, and they didn't need a place to stay. And one was only for about a week, a few days, and the other one was for almost four months. But we said, why not? We have a spare room that's it's used for God. It's a weapon for God. So we had people living with us for over four months. It's the most precious time, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. That's a weapon. See, now that room has become an office that my wife and I share. And this guy is just crazy enough to believe that the message is written in there, that the podcasts that come out of there that the possible books written in there could actually impact and change the world for Jesus. I'm just crazy enough to believe that. See, that's just one example. It could be something that you own, a physical, tangible thing. It could be your time. You know, I've preached twice now in the last three weeks, which I love to preach. It's one of my all-time favorite things to do. It's a lot of hard work. We take it very seriously here. We get on our face before God. We put a lot of time in to these messages. It's digging into God's word. But one of the most important things that I've said in the past three weeks has not been from this stage. It was last Saturday. When I took my son to buy a hockey stick and to a bookstore to buy a book, and then to a restaurant to just sit down with him and say, I need some alone time with you because you are so important to me. And I want you to know that I'm here for you. And you can say anything to me. And all you'll receive back is the love of your father. I want to know what's going on in your heart. That's the most important conversation I've had in the last three weeks. That's a weapon. Listen, your ministry starts at home with your marriage, with your sons and your daughters, and it spreads out from there. And it's time to wake up, church. God has given you something. There is something in your hands. Whatever it is, use it. I beg you, use it. Because the darkness doesn't have a chance against what God has put in your hands. And maybe you have a gift, maybe you have a talent, but you're scared to use it. You've been hiding, you've been in camp fear with Saul and his men, but Jesus is calling you to step forward. Because that gift, when used, when activated, when you use it in Jesus' name, will release people from bondage, will set people free in the name of Jesus. Now that is a weapon. Now is not the time to hold back. I hate to break it to you, but your life on this earth is short. You don't have much time. It goes faster than you can even imagine. We've got to use our time as a weapon against the darkness. Listen, whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in this moment right now, don't ignore it. You may just have a rake. (laughs) The guy next to you might have a pitchfork. Somebody else might have a rock. Don't worry about what everybody else has. 
You worry about what God's put in your hands. If you have a spare room in your house, then use it for the glory of God. It's time to go to war. It's time to engage the enemy for the hearts and the minds of people. It's time to follow Jesus into battle and say, do all that you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. In Hebrews 13, verses 10 to 14, it says this, and stay with me here. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore, share in his reputation, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Did you hear that, church? Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp, like Jonathan and his armor bearer left the camp. It's time to get outside of the comfortable, to leave legalism and religion behind, to get outside the camp like Jonathan and engage the enemy because, listen to me, that's where Jesus is. And just like Jonathan and his armor bearer, let's cross over. See, we don't belong in this camp singing kumbaya, waiting for Jesus to return. We belong on the other side. We belong in the battle Let's go where Jonathan went. Let's dust it up with the enemy. Let's rescue some people from the mouth of hell itself because we're not under the law. We're not under the old system. Hebrews says we're under a far better covenant because of what Jesus did. Listen to this, based on far better promises. And if Jonathan and his armor bearer could have that much faith under the old covenant, (laughs) come on, do you realize who you are, and the covenant that you are living in today. See, we're under the blood and the power of Jesus, who is outside the camp, who has defeated death and darkness, and he reigns victorious forevermore. We And once we are outside the camp, listen to this where Jesus is. Verse 15 says this, Then, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming allegiance to his name. Jesus told us this in Revelation 1.18. He said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and I'm the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, check this out. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. See, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church because Jesus is leading the charge, and Jesus holds the keys of death and hell. Hello. Revelation 12, 11 tells us how we defeat our enemy, the devil. Three ways. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus, the victory that was already won on the cross for us. You're walking in victory today. 
to the word of their testimony. Your testimony is powerful, how you preach it, how you live out your life. And number three, they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Another translation says they did not love their, love their lives so much that they, they shrunk back from death. We will not shrink back even from death. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I would say if you're camping out in camp fear, trying to avoid the battle, isolating yourself on an island, then I would ask you, were you ever truly living? It's time to step forward, church. It's time to attack. It's time to rally the church. It's time to wake up the sleeper cell and storm the enemy's gates. Listen to me. There is no plan B. That's the plan. We are all in, Jesus. Heart and soul, we are all in, a thousand percent in. We are going to storm the gates of hell with reckless abandon. Is anybody with me? If that's you today, if you're saying, I might just be crazy enough to believe that God's with me. If you can say, Jesus, do all that you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. I will not shrink back from death. I was made to attack the very gates of hell. If that's you today, I just want you to stand up. And if you're comfortable, just lift your hands to God in this moment. We're just going to pray together as we close. Jesus, you see these people, your church, the people that you've bought with a very high price. And they're committing to you, to follow you to the very gates of hell. And we can do that because you lead the charge. And we're committing to you today with hearts bowed, with hands raised, that whatever you've put in our hand, we will use it to attack the enemy. Whether it's our kitchen table, whether it's our living room, whether it's our basement, whether it's our vehicle, whether it's our time, whether it's our lunch hour, whether it's our conversation, whether it's starting investing in our marriage more, whether it's prioritizing time with our children, whether it's our business, whether it's our hobby, whether it's a hidden gift or talent, Whatever it is, Jesus, if it's just a garden rake, we're saying it's yours. It's a weapon, and we're following you into battle. Whatever you have put in our hand, we are committing today to identify what those weapons are, and then we will storm the very gates of hell with you leading the charge. Jesus, would you absolutely wreck our hearts today? Take that wrecking ball of grace and break us down to ground zero, all the pride and the selfishness, anything that's in our hearts, God, that would come against you, that would be opposite of what you would want us to do. You've called us not to give 80%, not 99%, but 100%, everything to you. Wreck us with your love, Jesus, so that we can be reckless with your love for others. We trust you, Jesus. We commit to you. We're believing big things for this year, the year of miracles. We believe that. We believe this city, <laughs> that what was closed is now open. 
Things are shifting in this city, Jesus. And you're calling us to advance. Now's not the time to shrink back. Jesus, we say, do all that you have in mind. That is our prayer for 2018. Do all that you have in mind. We are with you, heart and soul. We're just crazy enough to believe that you're with us as we climb those cliffs. We're crazy enough to believe that you're with us as we engage the enemy on a Monday morning in our cubicle at a Wednesday lunch with a friend, on a Friday date with our spouse, on a Saturday sports event with our son or daughter. God, let these words not just be words, but let them be powerful, causing our feet to move into action. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news of the love of Jesus Christ. We need to take some steps today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, yes and amen.